Hello, and welcome to this download from Blackwell Online. My name is George Miller, and my guest today is Rose Shapiro, author of Suckers, How Alternative Medicine is Making Fools of Us All. So great has been the acceptance of alternative practices in recent years by the medical mainstream, the NHS and British universities, for example, that complementary medicine probably described its current status better than alternative. Complementary suggests a state of affairs in which therapies such as acupuncture, homeopathy and chiropractic make up for the shortcomings of conventional Western medicine. And it's this state of affairs that comes under attack in Rose Shapiro's entertaining, eye-opening polemic. What motivated her to write the book, I wondered? I've been a health journalist for a long time and over that time there's been increasing interest in this area and I never covered it myself as a journalist but I'd, I could see the interest growing and also amongst my friends and relations and all sorts of people wanting to do this and talking a lot about alternative medicine. I always found it very annoying that they were doing this and not questioning it and accepting all sorts of claims and ideas without any kind of scepticism at all quite often the people who would be skeptic about skeptical about other things and questioning of other authorities weren't about this so i just became more and more keen on bringing together all the stuff that i would like to read and presenting an argument with various strands there to refute some of this stuff and also to refute the wider issue of the, of something called alternative medicine rather than medicine that works or medicine that doesn't work. And when you began to look into it, were you struck by the size of the industry? I was struck by the size of the industry and also really ha- that in some ways it was a lot worse than I expected. It, w- it was full of far more falsehoods than I expected it to be, really. Um, and the, some of the stories that I tell in the book of, of people, of the exploitation of people in extremists who are very, very ill indeed, who part with their life savings and for in pursuit of false hope, um, that shocked me. The stories were worse than I expected to find. Just give us a quick tour d'horizon of the wide variety of different practices which are out there, which fall under the umbrella of alternative medicine? There's a very cheap definition of alternative medicine, which is if it worked, it wouldn't be alternative. But uh, to put that on one side, think of anything and put therapy after it, you could say. I noticed just around the corner from here uh, yesterday that some new massage therapy shop had opened up. So there are things that, I mean, everything from um, acupuncture, homeopathy, herbs, Chinese herbs and European herbal medicine, chiropractic, a very, very wide range. Uh, And very frequently, one practitioner will offer things with completely differing rationale in a way that I I can't imagine how they deal with that, really. If you believe at one moment you're offering something that's about manipulating chi energy, and the next minute you're saying it's something to do with treating some mythical imbalance of candida in the gut or something like that, how you actually uh, work it out that you can do the two at once. And if I wanted to set myself up tomorrow as an alternative health practitioner, what restrictions would be placed on me? Very few. If you were a chiropractor or an osteopath, you'd have to join their representative organisation. You'd have to have insurance because you're putting your hands on people and that kind of thing. If you were doing 
other ones, there really isn't anything to stop you. You put one particular thing that people do with no apparent training at all is say they're nutritionists, which is easy to confuse with a dietitian. But a dietitian is a properly qualified person who has to uh, have a particular training and and registration. But you can call yourself a, a nutritionist and have people in your consulting room and tell them how to eat or what not to eat with nothing whatsoever. One of the most striking instances of weasel words that you quote in the book was for a cancer centre, where they say quite categorically that healing should not be confused with the verb to heal. I was amazed to find this. This is on the website of the Penny Braun Cancer Help Centre, which used to be called the Bristol Cancer Centre. They offer various alternative medicine practices, and one of these is healing. And they say, they say when they offer healing, they say, to quote, in this context, healing does not specifically equate with the verb to heal. This therapy doesn't claim to heal, but to sustain, restore balance, simultaneously calming and lifting the spirits. Now, I think if you're not, if you're saying you're offering healing that isn't healing, don't call it healing. But it does mean that I think people who are living with cancer or trying to get some help with cancer are bound to feel that's offering something more, even though these words are somehow acting as a disclaimer, than simply lifting your spirits, because you can do that with a walk in the park. Now, what about the hundreds of thousands of people in this country who would say, well, it works for me. Maybe your evidence-based clinical trials don't prove it, but here I am, I took the treatment and I feel better, so hands off. The trouble is, what's very it must be very annoying to, for people to hear it, that one single experience is not reliable. You can't generalise out of it. You can't even really be sure that that's why you, your cold got better was because you took echinacea. We know colds get better constantly without any taking of echinacea. It's very easy to fool yourself as an individual. It's very easy to see patterns where there are no patterns. And that's what we all do all the time. And that's why science and the way science interrogates things is a really useful tool because it takes away all that subjectivity and looks in a wider kind of way and, and therefore can produce far more useful conclusions. I mean, I can say I cured herpes with Marmite. I know it works. But that's no good, and it's no. It would be dangerous if other people started using my Rose Shapiro Marmite cure. But if it was shown, if some scientists could do some double-blind research trials into Marmite and can show this, then it would be you know bring it on. It would be marvelous. And what about the other claim that's made that this is going back to some more ancient form of wisdom that treats the person holistically, whereas modern evidence-based medicine simply looks for a, a symptom and treats and treats that and doesn't take a view of the whole person? Well, I think there are two, two problems there. One is that, well, actually three I can think of. One is that I think that modern medicine, and, and I think most doctors would say that they do see people as people and not just as one symptom or a collection of symptoms. The other is that the idea, this idea of holism is all very well, but when you actually look at what alternative practitioners are offering, they do treat specific symptoms. They use the language of treating the whole person, but what they do is address the thing that the person's turned up with and say is the, is the crucial problem. So it's not, it is only words. It, in practice, it, there's no difference. Oh. 
that here's another here's another objection that might be made to your book that lots of these treatments are based on plants which are natural modern medicine takes extracts of plants but basically this is going back to to nature's way of, of curing us well a lot of as you say a lot of of modern medicines are derived from plants or are, are similar um, chemically speaking to plants so plants are great they they are a wonderful source the good thing about uh, about modern pharmaceuticals is that, that they can deliver the, the elements that are in plants far more efficiently and more safely I heard something recently I don't I, I'm not actually sure what the, the figures would be here but if you take for an example digitalis which comes from the foxglove you can administer it in the form of foxglove leaves and it is that substance but you have no way of knowing how much is in the you know the particular leaves depending on how they were grown uh, you can't standardize the dose and a very small overdose of digitalis can cause really really dramatic consequences bad consequences and so it's far riskier to give it in that form than it would be to give the same drug in a controlled, refined tablet form. When we see these practitioners on the high street, chiropractor and homeopath and so on, they have the, the aura of being established practices. And one of the interesting things in your book for me was you look at the history of where they came from. And there are many fascinating stories about the origins of these practices and chiropractic stood out as a particularly interesting tale about how something originated and became established. Yes, well it, it's a very good example and it's one that I found people are quite amazed by because they feel they, they're being sold this thing that sounds like it's very ancient, just the word chiropractic which is derived from Greek and all of that. When they discover that in fact it was invented by a magnetic healer spiritualist who thought he was inventing a religion in the 1880s in America, it does change things slightly. The story is, it's a real Wild West story of somebody who was a very successful magnetic healer, but I think must have decided there was, he could do something more that would be more successful and came up with this idea of uh, chiropractic when he received it as an idea and the means of, or the, the method of doing it in a seance. And he thought he was in touch with a, a dead physician that he'd known in the past who told him this method and then claimed to cure somebody of deafness one week and somebody else of a heart problem the following week using this method of manipulating the spine. He thought that all illnesses were caused by the interruption of energies from your spine to the various organs and parts of the body and that if you could get the spine in an ordered fashion, you wouldn't have any illness at all. And uh, he was very successful with the patients. He was uh, imprisoned several times for impersonating a doctor, either practicing medicine without a license. At one point when he was in prison, his son took over the business and made it a huge success mainly because he realised that the money wasn't in the practice itself, but training other chiropractors. And that's something that I've noticed comes up again and again in alternative medicine. It's the training where the big bucks are. And so institutions get set up to, to, uh, to spread all these ideas, but really only for the benefit of the people who are doing the teaching, not anybody else. It, it seems to me that Irrationality has quite a long history 
and rationality has quite a short history if one thinks about the whole duration of, mm. of the human race. Mm. I mean, what way do you think the tide is running at the moment? Well, I think it would be nice to take credit for some change in in all of this. I think I would imagine the credit crunch has got a lot going for it because I think when you are faced with the possibility of spending 40, 50 quid on, on an alternative consultation, you might think twice now. I think for a lot of people, just raising the questions that I've raised and that other people have raised has made them think twice about it. It's been offered in the past so uncritically as if it's something, oh, you know, it works for me, have it, it's marvellous, and it, you know, it never does any harm, so it doesn't matter if you use it and it doesn't work. I think people are aware now it's not as simple as that. As I said, some of the universities are now questioning their provision of the courses and, in fact, even stopping some of the courses. And I think that has to be a good thing. One of the reviews mentioned the worry that the people who ought to read this book probably won't. I mean, how do you, how do you get beyond that problem? It's quite difficult to get beyond it, particularly when a book is called Suckers, because it's not terribly inviting to, to think that somebody's calling you a sucker. And what I meant by the sucker name was the title was that I was talking about two kinds of suckers, the ones who, who are gullible and fall for it and the ones who are exploitative and, and make the most of that gullibility. I hope that what I've done is is just put into the into the world of discussion and what people might say it with their friends at the in the playground or at a dinner party or whatever it is that it's the fact that it's possible to question it and the amount of information i put in that actually supports the skepticism and shows some of these methods to be duplicitous or not based on fact i just just that it's that information is there i naively think makes a difference.